Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Coop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. We're going to talk about traps today. Our whole series has been Freedom from Traps, and uh, so we're going to continue along that line this morning. And uh, how many are glad that God has set us free from traps? I am. I'm grateful that God set us free, and, and we're going to have fun today with this message, another one about freedom from traps. Some of the other traps we talked about, uh, undoubtedly one of them was for you, because we covered a number of different types of traps, but the one we're talking about today gets everybody. Everybody's been trapped in it, so this is applicable to every one of us, and we're going to talk about how it works and then how we are free from it. Not going to be from it, we're free from it already. Past tense, done. And uh, the trap's been sprung, we're free, all we got to do is walk out of it. And so it's, it's a done deal, but if you don't know it's a done deal, you're still hanging out in the trap, hurt, and don't realize you can go to freedom. So this is called the trap of guilt or shame, trap of transgression, if you like. And it's a very powerful trap that really holds the entire human race that God came to set us free from. We'll talk about guilt, we'll talk about shame. And uh, not to be confused with conviction. We are convicted of our sin. The Holy Spirit will do that. He convicts us of sin, righteousness. He convicts us of judgment. The Holy Spirit comes along and, and we, have, we have a conscience. That this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing that. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because it leads us to God. It shows us that we need God. And it leads us to what the Bible calls repentance to change our way. So that's a great thing and we need that. What we want to talk about today is guilt and shame. Guilt and shame will absolutely cause us to cower in a corner and will be a restrictive chain on our life so that we can't accomplish the purpose that God has for our life. It's uh, likely that every one of us would have a secret shame, a secret thing that we wouldn't want anybody to know. It would really cause us to be embarrassed. We'd feel rejected and all the rest of it. And God wants us free from that because if that grips us, we lack confidence, we lack strength, and we don't rise up to what God's called us to do. There was a, a psychiatrist in, uh, in, what city was he from? Cleveland. His name is Ray uh, Baumeister. And he did a study on guilt, a number of studies, well-known study. And his study, he found the average person spends, this will surprise you, about two hours a day feeling guilty. And for 39 minutes, how he came up with 39 minutes, I don't know. But for 39 minutes of that time, people feel moderate to severe guilt that may greatly limit their abilities. Guilt, shame limits your abilities to do what uh, God's put in your heart to do. So we want to bust that trap today or talk about how it's been broken and uh, go free from it. To start it off, I have a little video clip that gives you an illustration of how this can hold people and how, again, God sets us free from it. So we'll start with this, and then we'll get into the message. It's not easy to go through life without having secrets. From childhood, we learn to hide the things that make us look weak or make us feel guilty. The truth is that oftentimes we try to hide these things. Rather than face the pain, we grow calloused. Rather than feel rejection, we build false walls of stability. Rather than run the risk of being honest, we choose to build our lives around the lies that bandage our wounds. On the surface, we have found a way to hide what lies inside. 
but it's there, eating away at us, begging to be hidden while at the same time screaming for release. For many, our desire to be free is captive only to our desperate fear of being found out. It is something we all share. It is a fear that will continue to hold us back for as long as we allow it. What would it take to face this fear? What would our lives be like if we could release the weight of the secrets we carry with us every day? What if there was a God big enough to bear this burden? There is a Savior who gave his life to take our most painful hurts on himself. He forgave our offenses and overlooked our mistakes. In love, he made our personal wounds his own, and through his sacrifice, we have been given the opportunity to take all of our guilt, all of our shame, and all of our failures, and erase them away. Through the love of Christ, we can live without secrets. Powerful little video. Speaks really to all of us in some way or another. One of the keys that we want to pull out of there is that it says, he took our wounds, he took our guilt, and he placed it on him. And then he erased what we had. Literally, the Bible says he nailed our transgressions to the cross. As far as the east is from the west, can you measure how far the east is from the west? You can measure north from south, but you can't measure the distance from the east to the west. It's infinity. And as far as the east is from the west, he's removed your transgressions. He's removed the guilt, the shame that came with it. So this morning or this afternoon, we want to explore that, open that up a bit. One of the verses we find in Psalm chapter 32, verse 3, David says, When I kept silent about my sins, my bones began to weaken because of my groanings all day long. He said, I was weakened. It weakened me. It was in my bones. It was just haunting me. And I couldn't do what I was supposed to do because of this guilt, this shame, this sin that was in my life. I, didn't, I wasn't free. There's a powerful story that I want to make reference to this afternoon and it's about a trap it's about a bird it's about a, a, a bird that gets set free and the story goes like this there was a well-known preacher his name was dr a.j gordon he lived in boston in the 1800s and uh, had a great church was well known very respected he's in his backyard one day working and he sees coming down the back alley a young boy Young boy's carrying a, a cage. In the cage, he's got a bird. And he's walking along, swinging this cage. And on the other hand, he's got a stick. And with the stick, he's poking at the bird. The bird's in the corner. The bird's afraid. The bird's hurt. The bird's tormented. And you just see this little bird shaking in the corner while this mean little boy was poking at the bird through the cage with the stick. And the bird would just, just cower in the corner, shaking and trying to get away from a boy who kept poking at it with a stick. And as he walked down the back alley doing this, Dr. Gordon sees him and he has compassion on the bird. He said, what a mean thing to do to that little bird. The bird's trapped. Dr. Gordon says to the young boy, he says, son, what do you got there? He goes, it's a bird. 
He says, well, what are you doing to the bird? He says, oh, I'm just having some fun with the bird. He says, no, it looks like more than that. What are you doing to the bird? He says, well, I'm, I, I'm just poking the stick at him. I'm, I, I'm teasing the bird. I'm hurting the bird. He says, well, it looks like you're tormenting the bird. He says, well, I'm just having some fun. He keeps poking the stick at the, at the bird. The bird, again, is just so afraid in the corner, can't do anything. Dr. Gordon asks the young man, he says, what are you going to do with the bird? So I'm going to take him down that field out there. He says, and then what? He says, I'll kill him. Dr. Gordon's quiet for a while as the boy keeps poking at the bird. He said, I'd like to buy that bird. He goes, sir, you don't want to buy this bird. You don't want to buy this bird. This bird, sir, it's, it's nothing special about it. It's just an ordinary bird. I, I got it out there in that orchard. There's nothing special about this bird. He goes, no, no, I'd like to buy the bird. He says, no, no, you don't want to buy this bird. It's, I mean, you can buy birds that have pretty feathers and can talk and sing, and this bird can't do any of that. There's nothing special about this bird. You don't want it. He says, no, I really would like to buy the bird. He says, Dr. Gord, it's kind of hurt right. I damaged this bird. You don't want to buy this bird. He goes, no, I really want to. As a matter of fact, I'll buy the cage and the bird. And the young man says, I could make a buck here. So the young boy says, all right, uh, I'll sell it to you. And Dr. Gordon says, well, how much do you want for it? Now, this is a few years ago. And so the young boy says, $20, which was a lot of money in the 1800s for a rusty old cage and a beat-up bird. And Dr. Garden says, all right, I'll give you $20. It's a lot of money, young man, but I'll give you $20 for the bird and the cage. So he gives him the $20, and the boy takes off with his $20. And Dr. Gordon takes that cage, and he puts it down, and he, he's stronger than the cage, obviously. So he opens up the cage door. There in the corner is this bird. And you can picture it, shaking, afraid, fearful, beat up. And Dr. Gordon comes over to the side of him and just says, come on, birdie, come on, it's okay. It's okay, I'm not going to hurt you. Come on out. That little bird's just like, do I trust him? Will it be okay? Can I leave? It's okay. Come on, come on. I won't hurt you. I love you. Come on. You're free. And then he gives the bird some space, backs up, and this bird looks around. And then it comes to the edge. It's like, could this be? And he flies to freedom. Our soul has escaped like a bird out of the snare of the fowler. Our soul has escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth very strong. There's a similar story to this. God sees Satan walking one day. And he says, Satan, what do you have? And Satan says, I just got a cage. He says, what's in the cage? A man. And he sees him tormenting the man. God says, what are you doing to the man? Oh, I'm just poking him, tormenting him. And man's in the corner of the cage, cowering, beat up. 
hurt. God says, where did you get the man? He says, I got him in the garden. God says, I'd like to buy that man. And Satan says, you don't want this man. There's nothing special about him. There's nothing special about her. She can't sing. She doesn't have a lot of money. She's just an ordinary woman. That's just an ordinary man. You don't want that man. God says, no, I'd like to buy that man. I'd like to buy that woman. (laughs) Satan says, no, you don't want this. They're pretty damaged. I beat them up pretty bad. You wouldn't want them. They're, They're kind of... I've put them through a lot. Things that are written on the blackboard, that's them. You don't want them. You don't want to buy them. God says, no, I want to. Satan said, well, it's going to cost you a lot. God says, I'm willing to buy it. And I'll pay the price. He knew the price. The price to get man out of the cage would be the blood of his son. So God paid the price. For God so loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish in the cage, but what? Have everlasting life. That means in the future, but also today. So God pays the price. Man's in the cage Now, the father does what Dr. Gordon does. He comes over and says, I love you. Put your name in there. I love you, Dave. I love you, Cheryl. It's okay. I won't hurt you. I opened the cage door. You're free. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to work. You don't have to pay for it. Every other religion in the world requires you to do that. God doesn't. He says it's free. And by his Holy Spirit, he gently woos you. Says, come, fly to freedom. John 10.10, it's there in your notes. The thief comes, what? To kill, to steal, to destroy. Jesus said, I've come that they may have and enjoy life. And have it to abundance, to the full, till it overflows. Hear me very clear. The Christian life, if it's understood... And realized in the heart is the most joyous, overflowing life that you can ever have. But if this revelation is just in your head and does not get into your heart, you'll have just enough Christianity to make you miserable. And for some, they have just enough. And Paul had prayed. He prays. We'll get to his prayer in a bit. He prayed. Oh, I pray your eyes are open to this. That you can enjoy the abundant life God has for you. Because as long as we live in this cage, trapped with guilt and shame for the things we've done wrong. I call it the deceive and damn principle. First, Satan comes along and deceives you to do something that you're ashamed that you ever did. And there are things that you've done, there's things that I've done that I am ashamed that I ever did. And I wouldn't want anybody really to know. And, and Satan will come along, and it may be years later, he'll come along. One side he deceives you, then he comes along the other side and he damns you for what you did. Man, you did that? And it could be stuff that you did when you were a teenager. How many years ago he'll come along and say, this is who you are. This is what you did. And he'll keep us in that trap unless we realize that we are absolutely free from the guilt and the shame of it. How do we get free from that? That's a good question. We want to talk about how we get free from that. And so uh, we need to do another illustration to, to make that point. Uh, 
But let me give you a couple of scriptures before we do that, because then the illustration will make more sense. In your notes, you've got some verses. Under point number two, God placed our transgressions on Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus is often referred to as the Lamb. Why is that? Why would Jesus be called the Lamb? Because the Lamb was there to take away the sins of the world. And John recognized this, John the Baptist. John 129, he says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, exclamation mark, pretty excited, look! Hey, you guys, look! That's the way he would have been talking. Look, you guys, look! Woo! Ha! Woo! John's excited. Look! He was, Jesus was his cousin, but he wasn't seeing him as a cousin. He was seeing Jesus for who he was spiritually. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Another exclamation mark. So there's no religious monotone in his talk here, okay? It's like, woo, look, whoa, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Wow. Why was he so excited? Because he understood what happened in the Old Testament and if you had lived in that time, you would have been as excited as John was. This was revolutionary. And you'll understand in a bit why he was so excited. First John 2, 2, a different John writes, He is a sacrifice for our sins. He takes away not only our sins, but the sins of the, all the world. This cage, please understand, this is open for everybody. It's done. It's opened. Anybody right now can fly to freedom if they want to. Jesus has done it. All we have to do is receive what he's done for us. It's open. We, the, it's open. What we receive is our freedom. Now, you can stay in the cage if you want to. He's not forcing you out. But the gift is life. Cage is open. It's, it's done for everybody. Colossians 1.14 says, God has purchased our freedom with his blood and has forgiven us all of our sins. So, well, let's, let's do a little illustration here this morning or this afternoon and I need uh, two volunteers Brad's going to volunteer so welcome Brad as he comes up our music minister yay Brad Woo! and uh, let's pick on James today welcome James ordained yesterday welcome James as he comes up Pastor James okay you guys got to do better than that give him a big clap come on let's re- Woo! yeah okay so in this illustration we have a couple of roles uh, I know you got ordained yesterday and all, James, yesterday, but you're the sinner, okay? So you're the, you're the bad guy, all right? Uh, and uh, because Brad's got the white shirt on, he gets to be the lamb, all right? So you get to be the lamb. So you get down on, uh, pretend you're a lamb, and you're, you're, you're the one who's done something wrong. We don't know what it is, but you've done something wrong. And I get to be the priest, okay? So I'm God's representative in the Old Testament. And as God's representative in the Old Testament... My eyes would represent God's eyes, and uh, my hands represent his hands. I am a representation of God. So I'm acting on God's behalf. In the Old Testament, prior to Jesus coming and dying for our sins, the way they dealt with their sins is they had to bring a lamb as a sacrifice for their sins. So James has done something wrong here, and he's done, he has sin in his life, and at least on an annual basis, he brings the lamb to cover for his sins. So he's... <laughs> He's led the lamb to the priest. <laughs> yeah. Now, when he, comes, when he brings him to the priest, the priest will examine the lamb because the lamb 
was to have no spot or wrinkle. It had to be a lamb that wasn't sick, diseased. You couldn't bring old spot that was sick and diseased. And you, you had to bring a lamb that was without spot or wrinkle. So he brings this lamb to me. The priest then examines the lamb. He's not examining him. The priest examines the lamb. A lot of times we think God's examining us. God's got us under his microscope for our sins. God put Jesus under examination for our sins. So when he comes, the priest looks at the lamb. He's not checking him. He's checking the lamb. Does the lamb have spot or wrinkle? Does the lamb have sickness? Does the lamb have disease? With his eyes, his hands, he checks the lamb. The lamb, okay, without spot or wrinkle. It passes the test. Then you come around to the front, and you lay your hands on the lamb's head. You can let go of his leash there, yeah. You lay, you lay your hands on his head. Now, what's happening here is the transgressions that this man did are being transferred to the lamb. The sin in him is being transferred to the lamb. The innocence of the lamb, it did no wrong. There's no wrong in it. It's, it's innocent. But God said that I will allow the innocence of the lamb to be transferred into this person. So there's a transfer that's taking place here. The lamb's receiving the guilt, the shame, the transgression. He's receiving this innocence. When Jesus went to the cross, he received our guilt, our shame. The Bible makes it very clear that he took our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He, he received it from you. So you could receive life from him. So the innocent life of the lamb is transferred to this man who sinned. Then after that's happened, then he'll, he'll take a knife and he'll, he'll kill the lamb. The lamb dies. <laughs> Brad, you make a good lamb. <laughs> He's dead. You can stay there. Now this man's done. He's free. The lamb is sacrificed. And he, he goes free. And you're going to head out. He goes. He doesn't look back. He's free. Now, he is not... That's great, James. Done. He's not... When he leaves, he doesn't go thinking, Oh, boy, I did that wrong. The priest is going to get me. I did that bad. I'm going to have to pay for that. Or I did this. I better give so much money to cover for it. Or if I help so many people, that'll take care of what I've done. Nothing he will do. He, he, it's all done. All he now has to do is think about enjoying the blessings of God because the wrong that he did has all been imputed into this. That's a good job. <laughs> Give these guys a hand. All, the, all his wrong was imputed into the lamb. Let it think. Just let it. Uh, just absorb that for a bit. The question the priest was asking, listen closely, he wasn't asking, is the sinner good? Because he knew he wasn't. He was asking, is the lamb good? If the lamb was good, then he was free. And when Jesus died on the cross, our Lord was inspected. See, what happened, you remember the story of Palm Sunday, right? Palm Sunday, they waved the branches, and what did they sing? What did they say? Hosanna, Hosanna to the king, right? 
Hosanna, Hosanna. They're lying the streets. If you go to Jerusalem today, you've got Jerusalem. Then over here is the Mount of Olives. The parade started on the Mount of Olives. Everybody's in town. They all came home. It's like Canada Day plus some. They're all up here watching this parade. The parade comes down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley and up into Jerusalem. And they're all there. Everybody's cheering. Everybody's excited. They got, you know, today you'd have a band. You'd have people selling this. There's a, there's a carnival kind of atmosphere. Everybody's excited. It's a huge parade. It's a big deal. They're celebrating Passover. Passover. Passover is a celebration when they were the exodus out of Egypt. Why is it called Passover? Two words, Passover. Because in Egypt, they were instructed to kill a lamb, an innocent lamb, put the blood over the doorpost of their house. And when the death angel came, the firstborn of Egypt would die, but no one would die in their home if the blood covered their home and that death angel would pass over their homes. So it's called Passover, the lamb again. Now, in that parade at Passover, understand the timing of this. Jesus was crucified at precisely the right moment in history. It could have been on any other day, but the Bible makes it very clear. At the right time, he became our sacrificial lamb. In the parade, who was leading the parade but a priest? The priest carried a lamb. That lamb was to be killed for all the sins of the nation, for those who... If they missed any, this was kind of like it covered all the sins. This was one sacrifice for the nation. They carried this innocent lamb. The priest led the parade with that lamb, history tells us. That lamb was then taken to the temple and tied up. For four days, they would examine the lamb. The lamb was checked. Is there spot or wrinkle in it? Then, at Passover, at 9 o'clock in the morning, the lamb would be killed. Lamb dies that day. Jesus was in that parade, right? What happened to him? He was led into the temple. He was arrested in the temple. Caiaphas tried him, inspected him. Pilate inspected him, could find no spot or wrinkle. I find no fault in this man. He knew no sin. They looked for fault. They couldn't find any fault. The soldiers inspected him. The... The Herodians said there was this time of inspection. The lamb, the sacrificial lamb was inspected. And then at the precise time that that innocent lamb was being killed, our lamb for our sins died, Mark tells us. At the precise time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he dies. John records, it is finished. Jesus says those words, it's finished. What's finished? The Old Testament, the old system of doing things is done. A new way comes in, and our price for our sins are paid for, transferred to a lamb that was our substitute. That's why we read in second, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22-24, it's in your notes, he never sinned, innocent lamb. He never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. He left the case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried away our sins in his own body. He received our sins into his body on the cross so we can be dead to sin, 
alive for what's right. You have been healed by his wounds. You are alive to what's right. You have been made right with God. The rightness of the lamb was given to you. Write this verse down on the side there, Romans 5, 17. It says that if we've been made right with him or if we're righteous, then guess what? We will reign in life through Jesus. You'll be on top of things. Reign in life. Instead of that junk reigning in our life, we reign in life through Christ. But as long as we're trapped in tradition, trapped in transgression, trapped with guilt and shame, you won't reign. I won't reign. We'll feel inadequate, we'll feel rejected, we'll feel unworthy, and we won't reign in life. This trap gets everybody. And every believer needs a revelation that we are absolutely free from the trap of transgression, aggression, guilt, and shame. Wow. Let's go to what Paul had to say about in Ephesians. Wrap it up here. Ephesians chapter... Uh, one, if you have your Bibles, go there. I put verses 15 to 18 in your notes where Paul says he's praying for them. I think you pray the same thing for Coastal Church. We're praying for the same thing because you could have a bit of head knowledge on this, but man, if this stuff gets into your heart, whoo, look out. We want to be like John the Baptist. Whoa, look out. Where? Here comes Jesus, the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. That means all the junk, all the negative, all the stuff I did wrong was transferred to him and his life was transferred to me. I'll tell you what, that's where strength is. That's where the life is, abundant life, life that's freeing. Well, let's read what uh, Paul said. Therefore, he says, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for your saints, don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you my prayers. Now, here's how he's praying. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you. Look at your neighbor and say, this is for you. This is for you. All right. Just to make sure that they, they know it's for you. Okay, so it's for us. Give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. What? In the knowledge of him. He said, you guys need to know this about him. This is so key. The eyes of your understanding would be enlightened that you might know what is the hope of his calling. He's calling you out of this. What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? Woo! Number one, in verse one of this letter, you know what he calls the people in Ephesus? He could have said to them, because they're like us. Same group of people living in a modern-day city. He could have said to them, you bunch of losers, you bunch of sinners, you bunch of people who messed up your lives. He could have read the list that we had on the blackboard. Some of you have gossiped. Some of you have looked at pornography. Some of you had abortions. Some of you had this. Some of you... He could have said, look at you guys. Who, who, I need to write you a letter. He doesn't call them that, though. He says, to the saints. Why is, he say, why is he calling them saints? Because all the wrong they did got transferred into the lamb. And all the right of the lamb got transferred into them. Oh, I don't know if I, could, I, don't know if I can ha- handle that. 
Because I think, I, I, you know, your identity is not in the wrong stuff you did. That is not who you are. That's a deed that you did that God has forgiven you for. You are created in the image of God to live for his glory. That is not who you are. You're a free person. And as long as the enemy can convince you that you are that deed that you did sometime in the past, you will be in a chain. But when you realize that chain is broken, that is not who I am, what I did. I am a free person because Christ broke that cage open for me. He doesn't see me as that. He sees me as right. He sees me as a saint. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. That just means that he sees us in what Christ did. Then in verse number three, it says that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Wow. Can you handle that? I don't know much money you have in your bank account. You don't know how much money I have in my bank account. We don't know how much everybody has naturally, but I know what you have spiritually. You have every spiritual blessing in your heavenly bank account. We all do. Every spiritual blessing. Well, what are those spiritual blessings? A lifetime to explore and find out. You have peace there. Jesus, when he had the thorns pounded into his head, took your depression, took your anxiety in place of it. One of the spiritual blessings, you have a peace that makes no sense, that passes all understanding. That's a spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Wow, that alone is huge. When Gideon went into battle, that's when God said, my name is Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. One of the spiritual blessings you have when you're in the battle of life and it seems like everything's going wrong, he comes along and gives you a peace and a calmness that you can see what's going on. That's a spiritual blessing. He said, you have every spiritual blessing. Paul's praying, oh, I pray that your eyes are open to what you have. What else, what else do we have? We could mine this chapter for the next hour and a half, but I'm only going to take two hours. So, no, I'm serious. I'm, not, I'm kidding. I'm going to take five minutes, okay? Hang in there, five more minutes, and then we'll wrap up. It says that we have been adopted as sons, not just as children, but as sons. You're adopted. I prayed for a lady after the 930 service, and she came up for prayer because she's going to Vietnam. She's adopted a little baby in Vietnam, a single lady, going to Vietnam, adopted a baby there. You should see how excited she was. She's picked a baby from Vietnam to come and live in Canada out of an orphanage there. Cost her some money. She'll have to travel there and all the rest of it. But how many know that, that little Vietnamese boy or girl, I don't know what it is, they're going to feel pretty special when they grow up. They'll look at their mom. That's my mommy. She flew to Vietnam, and she adopted me. She brought me to Canada. She paid for me to come here. She took all that red tape, and she brought me here. I feel so special. Well, God adopted every one of us, and the price he paid for that adoption was far more than a trip to Vietnam. He adopted you. He chose you. Paul said, oh, I pray you have this revelation. Will you just look at your neighbor and tell them you're very special? You really are. I hope you leave this morning just realizing, I'm adopted. God loved me. God rescued me. My guilt, my shame, I'm free from that. Paul goes on to say here that Christ was raised and seated with the Father in heavenly places. We believe that. God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. 
I believe that. But you know what absolutely just amazes me? Is that Paul in the second chapter? Well, let's go there. Galatians chapter 2 verse 1. It says, and he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead in guilt. We were dead in shame. We were dead in transgression. Dead. D-E-A-D. Dead. When my wife's husband or father was in the, her dad's in the hospital, and when he passed away, the doctor came in, were there, and he said, I have to tell you that uh, your father has passed away. He's now dead. Heavy words, dead. If you're alive, they can give you a new appendix. If you're alive, they can do something for your heart. If you're alive, they can help you with whatever you're fighting. But when you're dead, dead, as a paramedic, when they're dead, you can't resuscitate, you can't, I mean, you can try to keep them alive artificially, but when you're dead, you're dead. And when the doctor says they're dead, they pull the white sheet over, and now you mourn, you bury, you cremate, it's over. They're dead. That's us, dead. We were dead, dead in our sins. You dead? I dead. Nothing we can do. We're dead. We're trapped. There is no way out on our own. We are dead in trespasses. Sounds hopeless. It was hopeless. But let's drop down to verse 4 where it says, but God. I am thankful for the but gods in the Bible. I was dead, but God. God remember who made heavens and earth. He created the world. And he made our Lord alive when he took on the sins of the world. And because Jesus rose again from the dead, we too, the Bible says, have been raised with him. Now hang on to your hats. Look what it says here. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he's loved us. Great love. Would you say that with me this afternoon? Great love. Great love. You know, I've been to some hospitals and... and uh, and I've been to a nurse or two or a doctor or two, and when they went to give me a needle, and they jammed that needle in my arm, there wasn't, I didn't think there was a lot of love in it. They got the job done, but there wasn't great love. I had a, one time I had to have a cortisone shot in my knee, and it was a long, skinny little needle. If you've ever had one of those, and that doctor spent about like five minutes trying to work this needle up into my knee. I thought, oh, there's not a lot of love in that. You're doing your job, but... God's got great love for us. If you're a doctor or a nurse, we know you love your occupation. We're glad you do it. Thank you. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. God has great love for us. He's the Father that stands there and says, Come on, you're free. Come, I love you. That's why the enemy would love to paint any other picture of God except that. Any other picture is a lie. God so loved the world. But God in his love. Now, it says here in the next verse that even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. He raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Raised, past tense. Where is Jesus today? At the right hand of the Father. Where are you and I spiritually? We are in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new person. Old passed away, everything became new. You are in Christ. 
you remember those uh, Russian dolls? Ever seen those Russian dolls? You, you open it up and there's another little doll inside. That's you. Open up Jesus, you're inside. You're in Christ. Jesus said to the Father, he prayed, I pray that they would be in me and I would be in them. You're in Christ. You're in him. And where is he? He's seated beside the Father. Paul's praying, oh, I pray you have a revelation of this. Why? Because your spirit has received what Christ has done for you. So what? All the guilt, all the shame has been transferred from you to the Lamb. And all the life, the innocence, the purity from an innocent lamb who knew no sin was transferred to you. That, my friends, is called grace. For by grace you've been saved, Paul went on to say, not by our works. This separates Christianity from every other religion on the planet. Man knows that we, every religion says we, there is a void. We, some, somehow we're not right with, with the creation, with the world. There's something amiss in us. But Christianity very clearly gives the answer. The answer is found in one who came from the Father to take our place so we could be right with him and reign in life instead of living, cowering in a trap where the enemy has us. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.